I was born again at the age of eight in Weeping Water, Nebraska. Anyone know where Weeping Water, Nebraska is? Yeah? Some people do. If you're from Nebraska, you should. Weeping Water was a church camp, and uh, my particular denomination, which was the Missionary Church, uh, a small denomination, United Missionary Church, then Missionary Church. And so we had a church camp every year, and Weeping Water, Nebraska was... Uh, uh, typically the place that we would come. And so uh, we had a, a church camp, and back then we had different types of preachers. Uh, back then we had preachers, you know, we would uh, refer to as hellfire brimstone preachers. And he happened to be that type. I'll never forget, but uh, it was quite a moving message. I had a genuine experience with the Lord. And uh, for since that time, and about, you know, when I turned 18, 19 years of age, I I kind of wandered away from God for a few years in my high school years and then came back to the Lord, rededicated my life. And from that point till this, when I was about 19 years of age, the Lord spoke to me and called me to serve Him full time. And from that time till now, uh, we've been uh, in full time uh, service. So this is our 40th year. This year is our 40th year. And I started when I was 12. <laughs> Not really. So uh, it's been an adventure, and uh, it never, it's never really a sacrifice to serve God. There are rich dividends associated with serving God. Hallelujah. So uh, we're so grateful to be here. I, uh, I want to share just a real quick update. For the past uh, 12 years or so, my wife and I have been serving in China. Uh, six years, we lived in uh, northeast China, four years in Hong Kong, <clears throat> and so we've been uh, working uh, with pastors and churches, uh, training, uh, help educating uh, church workers. Something that uh, we just recently launched two weeks ago is an online program uh, that's all in Mandarin Chinese, and it is uh, an actual RBTC, Rama Bible Training College program. Uh, we have 12 courses uh, currently online, six hours each, free, totally free. This this part of the program is free. All you have to do is sign up and register. So if you know Mandarin Chinese, uh, go to www.ramachineseonline.org and you can access the teaching. So even Brother Hagen is teaching in Chinese. Amen. Hallelujah. He probably never thought he could do that, but he is. And so uh, we'll expand that program to have uh, uh, 24 courses eventually. Uh, the object is to make this teaching available to Chinese-speaking people globally. There are 1.4 billion people in China. To give you an idea of uh, the size of that population, there's more people in elementary through college age in, in uh, school, in schooling. The population or the size of the student body from elementary all the way through college is larger than the population of the United States. That gives you an idea of how large that population is. They graduate 7 million high school graduates every year. Uh, it's a large population. Uh, there are also 60 million Chinese living outside of China. And so we have an, uh, an opportunity to reach into Chinese-speaking people everywhere. You understand there's uh, Mandarin-speaking and then Cantonese-speaking. And we'll also reach into the Cantonese-speaking population uh, simply by having uh, traditional text subtitling uh, over our videos. And so uh, they have access. Uh, the new birth is made available to them online. If they sign up, they get a free new birth uh, translated into Mandarin. And also there's a page they can pray a prayer of salvation. 
uh, and notify us if they receive Jesus for the first time. So we're using this tool not only to teach, but also to evangelize. Because we believe God loves Chinese people. He loves everyone. He loves Chinese people. He made more of them than anyone. He loves them. He loves Chinese food. Hallelujah. He loves Asians. You know, if you, if you draw a circle uh, around Asia, and I consider Asia all the way over to India, uh, so all the way to the north, uh, Mongolia, China, all the way down to Indonesia. If you draw a circle around that region, there are more people inside that circle than, any, than outside the circle. So when you include uh, India, 1 billion, 1.1 or 2 billion now, and China, 1.4 billion, and Indonesia, 500 million, uh, uh, and you include uh, Malaysia, Philippines, Thailand, Burma, uh, all the other countries, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, uh, you have 20%, over 20% of the world's population. So it's an amazing part of the world. And God's doing tremendous things there, not only there, but around the world. I wish I had time to talk about what God is doing globally because we do not hear that on the news. But God is moving in a great way. Uh, just one example of that is in Africa. When I was a, a young boy, Africa was considered an unreached continent. And uh, at that time, all the missionaries would go to Africa. That was kind of the focus, if you remember, uh, many years ago. But today, Africa is about 41 to 43 percent Christian, the continent. Uh, and in a few years, they project that it will be over 50 percent, which will make Africa consider, considered a Christian continent. Think about that. So in my lifetime, from unreached to reached, that's amazing. And so in Indonesia, again, uh, they will not release statistics, but they project that, that Christianity is anywhere between 15 to 25 percent of the population, the largest Muslim nation in the world, uh, growing uh, dramatically in that particular nation. Uh, we could talk about India. We could talk about Southeast Asia, China, 25,000 people a day being born again. We could talk about South America. It's just amazing what God is doing. We don't hear about that, but God is moving. In A.D. 100, 100 years after the death of Christ, for every believer there were 100 non or 360 non-believers. So for every believer there were 360 people who were not saved. That's A.D. 100. Today, for every saved person, there's less than seven unsaved people in the world. Now the population's bigger, but you can see that Christianity has expanded globally, rapidly. As a matter of fact, Regardless of what you hear, statistically, Christianity is outpacing every other religion in the world. Outpacing. And the majority of those who are born again, <coughs> globally outside the U.S., become Pentecostal. Now don't get scared because I use that word. Spirit-filled. Hallelujah. So I want to encourage you that God's moving. He's not dead. He's alive. He's moving around the world and will continue. When Jesus told Peter, upon this rock, the confession of the Lordship of Christ, I'll build my church. And the very gates of hell, the power of hell, will not keep the church out. Cannot. Will not. Hallelujah. I love that old song we used to sing, that the church is a mighty moving force. Nothing can stop this mighty moving force. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. 
Colossians chapter 3, just so you know, it's, uh, according to my watch, 15 minutes before 11. Is that correct? 1043. I'm running two minutes fast. Just so you know, I like to let you know where you are. People like to know what time it is. You know, there was a story of uh, two young men, and, and you know, one was, uh, my wife was raised a Catholic, and, uh, and uh, you know, a lot of wonderful Catholics, born again, love Jesus, serving God. And uh, this young man was Catholic, his friend was Baptist, and so, you know, they decided to attend each other's churches, so when the Baptist, young Baptist uh, man was uh, attending the Catholic church, he was not used to, you know, the, uh, everything that took place in the service, and so the young Catholic boy would explain to him, you know, you stand up, you sit down, you kneel, you do this during the service. So it was time for the Catholic young man to visit the Baptist church, and so, uh, you know, and, and of course the young Baptist man had to explain, you know, what was going on during the service. So at one point, the pastor took his watch off and laid it on the podium. And the young Catholic boy said, now what is the significance of that? And the young Baptist boy said, absolutely nothing. (laughs) So just because I tell you the time, that's not significant, okay? (laughs) That's the point I'm trying to make. I'll put my watch back on. Have you found Colossians chapter 1, verse 3? Oh, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. Just trying to shake it up a little bit. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, next, notice those next three words. What are they? Seek those things. Everyone say, seek those things. Seek those things which are where? Above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. I want to read two other versions of the Bible. This is the English Revised Version. You were raised from death with Christ, so live for what is in heaven. That's the statement I want to emphasize. Live for what is in heaven where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Another version The uh, Century English Version says, You have been raised to life with Christ. Now set your heart on what is in heaven. Set your heart on what is in heaven, where Christ rules at God's right side. Now on the margin of some Bibles, it uses the word affection. Set your mind or set your affection on things above. That could be one translation uh, of this particular verse. And actually, uh, one... uh, commentary, Albert Barnes says this, that uh, this means, think of, the thoughts should be occupied about the things where Christ now dwells, where our final home is to be, where our greatest interests are. Adam Clark said, be as much in earnest for heavenly and eternal things as you formerly were for those that are earthly and perishing. I like that statement. So live, he says, for what is in heaven. So what does that mean? I think it simply means this, let heaven or eternity be the reason or the motivation for why we are living in this life. Let heaven or eternity be the reason or the motivation for why we exist or why we are living. Now, live for what is in heaven. So that just simply means Let eternity be a primary focus. 
let eternity be the motivating force in your life. Let eternity be the primary influence of your life. Now, what if God were to open the spiritual world, because we know that this world is the world that we were born into. It's a natural, physical world. Yet we understand there's also a spiritual world. We believe in angels. You believe in angels? Angels are here. You may not see them, but they're here. They're filling this room. Everyone has an angel, at least one. You have an angel. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was alive, He told His disciples, don't be surprised when you see angels ascending and descending. Don't be surprised. So there is a spiritual world. We talked about that a little bit on Wednesday night. There is a place called heaven. It is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus referred to it as the kingdom of God. It is spiritual. It, is, it does not come by observation, Jesus said. It's within you. It is a spiritual kingdom. If we read the Old Testament, the prophet Elisha uh, had a servant. And when they were surrounded, Elisha prayed that the servant's eyes would be opened. Well, his eyes were already open. His physical eyes were open. That's why he was afraid. Because he saw the armies surrounding them. The other king sent an army to capture Elisha. And the young servant saw all those armies. And he said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And the, and the prophet prayed that the young man's eyes would be opened. And when his eyes were opened, his spiritual eyes were opened, he saw something. He saw chariots of fire. Angels and chariots of fire surrounding him. So that always existed. Those angels and those chariots were there. Just because he could not see them with a the physical eye, the moment his spiritual eyes were opened did not mean they were created at that moment. They were there. So we have angels in this room. We have a spiritual world that created this natural physical world. The spiritual world is more real than this world. So we talked about that on Wednesday night. There is the kingdom of God. There is the kingdom of darkness. We understand that. But we are more interested and focused on God's kingdom. We have been called out of darkness, transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. It's also referred to as the kingdom of light. Hallelujah. So we're in that kingdom, we're physically living on this earth, but we're a part of a spiritual kingdom. And there are principles and laws of that spiritual kingdom that can work in and through our lives in this physical, natural realm. And so we are eternal beings. Amen. We're made for eternity. Not just made for this life only, but for eternity. So what if God would open the spiritual world to us right now and allow us to see the real world and what eternity is like, what heaven is like, what plans God has for us through the ages to come? What would that do to us? Just 10 seconds or 15 seconds, would that change our priorities? Would that change what's important to us? Would it change the way we see things or think about things? More than likely. Obviously, Paul saw something that changed his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, I knew a man 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body. That just simply means he couldn't tell if he was inside his body or outside. That means when you're in heaven, you're going to look fairly similar. You're going to have shape and form like you, you do right now. You're not going to change into a cloud or a mist or a vapor. You have physical form. 
So Paul could not determine whether or not he was outside his body, inside his body. He said, I was caught up to the third heaven. That doesn't mean there's three levels of heaven, you know, one for the Baptists, one for the Presbyterians, one for the Pentecostals. No. Third heaven, all commentaries say and believe the same thing. The first heaven is the earth's atmosphere. The second heaven is space, outer space. Third heaven is where God lives. So Paul was caught up to the third heaven where God, where the throne of God is, where God dwells. Hallelujah. And he saw something. He said, I heard unspeakable words, words that I cannot even share with other people around me, unspeakable things. It changed his life when he had a glimpse of eternity or of heaven. Peter and James and John saw something on the Mount of Transfiguration that changed them. They saw the glory of God descend upon Jesus, and He was transfigured before them. They saw Elijah. They saw something that changed them. Abraham saw something that changed him, that caused him to want to look for a city whose maker and builder was not man. He was not satisfied with this earth. John saw something on the Isle of Patmos that changed him. And there are numerous experiences that people recount of having left their physical body and ascending into heaven and returning to the earth and coming alive again in their bodies and they tell stories uh, of heaven, of eternity. And it changes them. It changes them. And we might think, well, why, why doesn't God just do that? And allow us to have that experience so that we're more motivated and focused and concentrated on spiritual things. Because without faith, you cannot please your Heavenly Father. It requires faith. Faith to serve Him. That's pleasing to Him. That faith comes from our understanding of what God is saying to us through His written Word. So we believe the Bible is God speaking to us. We believe that what God says in His Word is real. And we exercise faith in that. We trust that. We have confidence in that Word that it's real. Amen? And so the just, the righteous, live by faith. We live by faith. Now, I want to illustrate to you eternity for a moment. How long our lives on this earth are compared to eternity. It's hard to do that many times. But in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Peter says this, 2 Peter 3, 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a what? A thousand years. One day, one earth day, 24 hours. One earth day in heaven, he, Peter says, is like 1,000, one day in heaven, 24 hours in heaven is like 1,000 earth years. And 1,000 years is one day in heaven. Now, I'm not saying to you that Peter is giving us an exact mathematical formula or equation to determine exactly what eternity is like. I think he's giving us this illustration that's inspired by the Holy Spirit just to give us an understanding or an idea that eternity is a long time. So, just for sake of conversation, let's say that this is close. We don't know, but let's say it's close. So, we have any math majors, majors in here? So, if uh, one day, 24 hours in heaven is a thousand earth years, what's one hour? 
Google said that one hour in heaven is 41 years, six months, 28 days, one hour, 26, me uh, 26 minutes, and 24 seconds. Let me repeat that. One hour in heaven, earth years, is 41 years, six months, so he said 41.7. That's really good. 41 years, 6 months, 28 days, 1 hour, 20 minutes, and 24 seconds. Just in case you're German. You need to know that, okay? That's my background. So 1 hour in heaven is roughly 41, 42 years. Give or take a few minutes. 42 years. How many of you are at least 40? At least How many of you want to stay 40? <laughs> so let me just say this. If you're 40 years old, and I know to some people that's like ancient. <laughs> if you're 40 years old, you know, I heard the other day, millennials now are like between what, 23 and 30 something? That, you're getting old, millennials. You're getting old. You're getting old. 40 years, you've lived one hour in heaven. How many is 80? Anyone in here 80? Any 80-year-olds that want to admit it? You're 80? <laughs> right there. Awesome. Awesome. You're 80-ish. Awesome. 83. You look fantastic. Awesome. You've lived two hours in heaven. <laughs> Now think about that. We don't really think about eternity much because we're focused on this life. That's okay. We understand that God uh, placed us in this earth and we are born into this earth. We have families. We have, to, we, have to, we have responsibilities. The Bible talks about duties of parents, duties of husbands and wives. We understand that. But the focus of this life is not just on this life. God wants us to be heavenly minded. Now that doesn't mean, and I'll talk about this later, that we forget about everything in the natural and we find a cabin somewhere up in the mountains in Colorado and we just stay there and we meditate on the Bible and God and heavenly things. It does not mean that. Jesus, when He prayed for His disciples, said, I do not pray, Father, You take them out of the world. Huh? Right? John chapter 17. He said, I pray that you keep them from the evil one. No, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Without light and salt, this world has nothing. You are the light. You are the salt. You're the reason that this earth is still here and exists and has some sense of normalcy, if you want to call it that, not chaos or confusion. It is the Christian community, the church, the believer that keeps things in order. You're here for a reason. That is to represent the kingdom of God. You are ambassadors in this world representing God's kingdom. So we have an ambassadors meeting this morning. You are all ambassadors. You are representing a kingdom. Yes. Amen. And so when we think about eternity... One minute in heaven is eight months, nine days, 20 hours, and nine minutes on the earth. One minute. So when people have visions of heaven, it seems like they're there a long time, but they're not there a long time. 
It just seems that way because eternity is not limited by time. It is forever. That's hard for us to comprehend because we're born into a society, into a world that is controlled by time and space, time, time consciousness. So if you are 80 years old, you've lived two hours in heaven. Now let me ask you this question. If you had only two hours to live your entire life on this earth, and if what you did during those two hours determined your reward in heaven, what would you focus on? In the earth. Since uh, it's not limited to two hours, and since we have days and weeks and months and years, and I remember when I was 17, wanted to be 18, and then I wanted to be 19, then 21, it just seemed like eternity. <laughs> Took forever to get there. And then 50 came, and it was like, there's no break. <laughs> and it's like, it just keeps coming quicker and quicker. Right? But we're time conscious, and it just seems like, you know, it, it's a long time, 80 years, 90 years to young people. But eternity is forever. And if this life only could be reduced to a short period of time, what would our focal point be? What would we focus on? What would be important to us? Since it's stretched out so long, and it, it seems like it takes a long time, we don't really focus on eternal things. So why should we think about eternity? Well, first of all, this life is temporary. This life is very temporary, my brother and sister. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. 1 Corinthians 15. If in, in this life only, Paul said, we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most what? Miserable. If there were... If there were, there were no eternal attributes or eternity at all, if this is it, and when we die we're dead like an animal, so to speak, Paul said, we of all people would be most miserable. See, the hope of Christianity is the resurrection. Jesus is the first fruits. Since He resurrected and has a new body, you'll be resurrected and you'll have a new body. Everything Jesus did, you're going to receive the benefit of that. We have the first fruit or the down payment of everlasting life right now in this life. We have the Holy Spirit, the new birth, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have a sampling of the powers that are to come through the gifts of the Spirit. We have health and healing. You understand? We can access health and healing. That doesn't mean this body's never going to die. It just simply means that we can live the fullness of this life and experience a down payment on what eternity is going to be like. This life is preparation for the life which is to come. I'm not saying you work your way to heaven. No, if you're in the body of Christ, if you're born again, you are already in the kingdom of God. You already have eternal life. And this home is temporary. We are foreigners living in this world. Now, I understand what it means to be a foreigner. We've lived, my wife and I, in five different nations of the world. Lived, not just visited. Lived in five different nations of the world. We were, we were in every nation a foreigner. 
What's that mean? That means we're not born there by birth. We're not born in that nation. We move to that nation. We're a foreigner to the people who live in that nation. So as a foreigner, uh, you know, usually you, you come from a different culture. Uh, you can acclimate, acclimate to that culture, learn the language, but still you are from the outside and you're living there on, in that new country, right? And that's okay, but you understand you were born somewhere else. If you live somewhere else for a long time, move to another country, you still have fond memories of where you came from or you still have a connection uh, to that, your birth nation. And that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. That's great. So I was, we are foreigners. That simply means that's not our permanent residence. We're going to eventually probably move, right? So we are foreigners in this, in this life. Amen. This is temporary. Now we act like it's permanent, but it's not. Anything that is permanent to us, we focus all our time and energy and effort on those things. But God wants you to realize that you are made for eternity. And there's a bigger picture involved here. Anyone ever use Google Earth? You ever use that app or, you know, you can use it on the phone or you use it on a computer and it shows the earth and then you hit it and it kind of goes, you go, you go from street view all the way out and you see the whole earth or you go from the earth all the way down to street view. Right? Right? So God wants you to do that now, this morning. Go from street view all the way back. Look at the big picture. See, we're focused on our street, on our house, on our life, and our family. Nothing wrong with that, but there's a greater reason for your existence, and it's not just that little street. Zoom back. You were created for eternity. You have an eternal purpose. As a matter of fact, we'll look at a couple of things here before we close why we need to understand this eternal focus or purpose. You were created for eternity. Do you understand that? Not just for 80, 90 years, 100 years, for eternity. So Paul said if we did not have the hope of the resurrection or eternal life, we would be of all men most miserable. If this is it, my brother and sister, this life, as good as it can be. If that's it, we're miserable. Come on now. As much as I like Valentino's pizza. And when I was here way, way, way back when I was church camp, Valentino's was the big deal. We'd drive to go to Valentino's. I don't know if it's changed or not. But we are most miserable if that's all we have. If that's all we're focusing on our things and houses and cars and the stock market, we are of all men most miserable because we are made for eternity. We're made for eternity. Now, I want to, I have an object lesson. I'm not an object lesson guy, okay? But I have one here. And I'm going to put this out here, okay? And I left my other one at home, so I had to go to Lowe's to buy this. So anyway... Uh, this is my object lesson. Brother Dave will like this. He'll appreciate this. So this rope, I want you to look at this rope, and it represents, let's say this rope is, is endless, okay? It just goes forever. This is eternity. This rope represents eternity. It just goes forever. And eternity goes forever, right? We believe that, right? Okay, on the end of this rope, I have about, oh, I don't know, two inches or two and a half inches taped off. 
This represents our life. Okay? Now, I'm borrowing this. Uh, this is not original with me. Uh, uh, actually, it's Francis Chan who gave this, if you ever heard Francis Chan. I'm going to give him one time more credit, and then I'm not going to mention him anymore. <laughs> I give him credit at least five or six times, and it's mine. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great illustration. So let's say this is eternity, and this is our life down here. This is what we focus on. And we think, you know, I get to this age, and then I'll do this, and, and I get here, and, you know, I'll do this, and then I get up to here, I can retire. And then, you know, I can go on cruises, and I can, I can move here, and I can do this. And everything is focused on this. Everything, our resources, our energy, our time. And we don't think about this at all. And this is our real life. This will pass away. James said it's like a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. Yet all our time and our energy and our resources is focused on this. And this is what we were created for. And this is why we're on this planet. This is why we are here. And this is where we are going. Paul said in the ages that are to come, not just one age, ages, I'm going to show you the exceeding riches of His kindness and His grace. Why did God create the universe? Just so we can go out at night and look at stars? No, I think there's some greater plan. I don't know what that is. I'm not going to speculate. But God is a creator. When you go to heaven, it's not eternal vacation. It's not laying on some golden bed, playing a golden harp all day long, listening to beautiful, relaxing music. No, God is a God of productivity. He is a creator. He will continue to create. I don't know what. That's not up to me. That's up to Him. We don't have that information in the Bible. We have everything we need for this life to prepare us for the life which is to come. So what are we focused on? Eternity, keeping our mind fixed on eternity and eternal things, keeps our perspective of this life balanced. Why we are here. It helps us understand which family we're a part of. I'm a part of my Heavenly Father's family. I like my family. You're my family. I'm a part of the family of God, the body of Christ. I like my family. But I want more people in my family. That's why I'm here, to enlarge, expand the family. Not just my family, not just my little nuclear family, but the global family. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. Eternity motivates us to live a life that is pleasing to God. Eternity reminds us that we do not live in this life, or what we do in this life will determine our eternal rewards. Uh, and I'm going to give you some scriptures real quickly. I'm not, if we don't have time to turn there, that's okay, guys. But Philippians 3.14, I keep running hard, Paul said, toward the finish line to get the prize that is mine. Because God has called me through Christ Jesus to life up there in heaven. I like that translation. So Paul said, I keep running hard toward the finish line to get the prize. 
Now, we don't live our life just for rewards, but God is a rewarder, the Bible tells us, of those that diligently seek Him. Paul understood that. Paul saw something in heaven that caused him to want to run the race to get the prize. Right? To sacrifice, to do what he did. In 1 Corinthians 3.8, 1 Corinthians 3.8, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, but each shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So there is a reward. 1 Corinthians 3.14, 1 Corinthians 3.14, If anyone, anyone's work which he built remains, he shall receive a reward. Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, I like this. This is from the living, uh, the living Version. Store up for yourselves treasures in where? Heaven. Not just Wall Street. Now, I have investments. Matter of fact, my investor, uh, my investor uh, I bet with him a while back, you know, and he got out the charts and, you know, does this. And, you know, he's a Christian and he prays over my investments. And actually, he wants to talk more about missions than my investments. He's a great guy. And I have to encourage him. You know, I come in sometimes, he goes, you know, the market kind of went down. I said, don't worry. I'm okay. It doesn't bother me. So I have to encourage my investor. <laughs> so I invest because that's wisdom. I do something. Uh, because if Jesus doesn't come back in the next 10 years, I have to have something. We all have to have something to live on. I mean, you know, I try to go to the airlines and say, hey, I'm a missionary. I'm a Christian. You should let me fly for free. And they go, no. <laughs> Doesn't work that way, does it? So we have to use natural wisdom and stewardship. That's taught by Jesus, right? We understand that. But no, to store up for yourselves treasures where? 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 Where moth and rust cannot destroy. The economy goes up and down based on a lot of factors. But in heaven, the economy is stable. There's always a return on our investment. Now, here's the point. You can actually invest in eternal things. We only think about natural investments, and we should. But what about eternal investments? Jesus said you can store treasure in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean you take all your assets, liquidate them, write a check, swallow it. When you die, you're going to take it with you. That doesn't work. You cannot take natural material things into the spiritual world. But you can do things that produce eternal rewards, eternal treasures. You can do spiritual activities in this life because you're a spiritual being that will actually produce spiritual rewards or treasure. Now, that's not our motivation, you understand. But God wants us to know that what we do in this life produces something in the life which is to come. Now, 1 Peter 4.10. I want to make this practical the next 15 minutes. 10 minutes, maybe. Maybe 10. Make this practical. Because I, don't, I, I believe that if the Bible cannot be lived out in everyday life, then it's really of no benefit to us. And God understands that we live in this world and we have to take spiritual principles and apply them in life. So I want to give you something practical. 1 Peter 4.10. Look at 1 Peter 4.10. 
as every man, everyone say every man. Amen. We know man means mankind, so that means women as well. God does not leave out women. You understand? In Christ, there's neither male nor female. In Christ, is that right? God looks at everyone the same. Doesn't matter. So, as every person hath received what? The gift. If you look that word up, it is a supernatural gift, an ability. Not a natural talent that you inherited from your parents. This is a supernatural gift or ability that God placed in your spirit at the new birth. As every man, every man. So no one in the body of Christ is left out. You're here for a reason. God has placed a supernatural spiritual ability on the inside of you. So use it, even so minister. That word minister is the Greek word which means to serve. Serve. Serve one another with this gift. It's not for you. That's the reason we'll never discover it if we try to keep finding out what's in it for me. You see, if you live your life only thinking what's in it for me, you'll never discover why you're here and what God has deposited in you because that's selfishness. It'll never be revealed to you. God designed you to be a channel, a pipeline, not a dead-end street. A pipe carries something. If you put water in a pipe, the inside of the pipe's going to get wet, but there's a purpose for the pipe to deliver that water to someone. You are a channel of God's blessing and anointing and life and power. He wants to deliver it through you to someone, and in the process, you're going to get blessed, obviously. Amen. Amen. So everyone has received a gift, so use it, serve one another as what? Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That means every gift has its own particular grace, different types of gifts. Everyone has a different ability, and you are to use that ability to build up the church, to build up the kingdom of God for our purpose of living in this life, and that is to focus our family, our kids, our relatives, do everything we can to focus them on eternity, because that's our real life, life with God. This life is temporal, but the life that we have internally and experientially one day is eternal. It's eternal. This is why I'm here. This is why you're here. For eternity. So in other words, the ability that God has given us is to be used primarily for building up the church, which is spiritual, and the expansion of the kingdom of God. If that is our primary purpose, there will be an unending supply of resources and benefits for this life, if that's our purpose. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything you need. God knows. But everything you need will be added. That's the benefit package. I love the company that I work in, God's kingdom company. Amen. It has a great eternal or great, great uh, health care plan. Great retirement. Great retirement. And it comes free. Hallelujah. You just have to join the family. Amen? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse, verse uh, 17, and then 18 and 19. Can we do that? 17. Charge them that are rich in this world. Give all their money away. No. 
That's how they got rich. <laughs> Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not what? High-minded. High in other words, oh, I did this, you know. My own strength, my own wisdom, my own intelligence and power created this. No, no, God gave you everything. He gave you an ability to gain wealth for a purpose. What's that purpose? Be not high-minded high or trust in them, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Next verse. That they who, the rich people, do good. And that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now that doesn't mean they pay their way into the kingdom. No, 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 no. What's Paul saying? Paul is simply saying this. He's saying here, use the resources that God has given to us to benefit the expansion of the kingdom of God, support the work of God, help those who are in need. There are eternal consequences, both for the people you help and bless and the eternal rewards connected to what we do from proper motivation. What we do with what we have for eternal consequences, produces a reward. Amen. 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 Yes, God understands we have to have money to live. He knows that. And He wants us to use the resources we have with wisdom and use it and channel it in a way that produces eternal results. Thank you for your enthusiasm. All right, number three, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're rushing to a close here. Don't get excited, I have a long conclusion. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, and we read this the other night. We'll read verses 1 through uh, about 5 or 6, I think, guys. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now why? Who will have all men to be saved, and we'll stop with this verse right here, guys. Who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. So a third thing we can do is become involved in spiritual activities. And one of the greatest spiritual activities that we could ever be involved with is prayer. When we are involved with prayer and specifically intercession, we join ourselves with the great intercessor, intercessor the Lord Jesus Christ, who ever liveth to make intercession. Our hearts become joined. This is God's heart. The world, people, the expansion of the kingdom of God. He wants everyone to experience eternity. Eternity. Yes, this life is wonderful in what we have. You understand, but heaven is so much better. And I'm not saying that we don't take care of ourselves and focus on the natural duties and responsibilities. I'm not saying that. But everything we do should come from an eternal perspective and motivation. That's what I'm saying. 
There's hardly a day that goes by in my life that I don't think about eternity, that I don't think about standing before my Maker, the Lord Jesus Christ, and giving an account to Him of what I've done in my life through this body. I don't do that because of fear or guilt or condemnation. It's out of respect and reverence to God and the awesomeness of His power and the awesomeness of His kingdom. And so prayer is uh, so important. I wish I had time. We talked about that on Wednesday night. How many of you heard the saying, you can become so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good? Do you know who coined that statement? Anyone? My wife does, but that's not fair. (laughs) At least this person is recognized for making this statement. I don't know if he is the first one, but he's the one quoted and recognized. Sir Oliver Wendell Holmes, Sr. Anyone know who Sir Oliver Wendell Holmes, Sr. was? He's a doctor. He was a doctor and a poet, not a preacher. He was raised in a minister's home, but he became a medical doctor and a poet, wrote many poems and many books. He's quoted very often by people. So he's a poet, great guy probably, more than likely a Christian, but this did not come from the Bible. Now I understand the principle that people, you know, we understand what that means that, you know, that we just think about, you know, oh, I just think about God and heaven and and I neglect my daily responsibilities being a husband or a father. We understand that. But I think sometimes we get too far on the other side, the negative side of that statement, and we don't understand the implications of the positive side of that statement. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said this, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next world. He goes on to say, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things as Christians is meant to do. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. I like what John Piper said. John Piper said, yes, I know it is possible to be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly use. My problem is I've never met one of those people. And I suspect uh, if I met one, the problem would not be that his mind is full of the glories of heaven, but that his mind is empty. And his mouth is full of platitudes. So yes, I guess you can be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good, but I agree with John Piper and C.S. Lewis. I think the people who are most heavenly minded do the most for the kingdom of God. Because that's what motivates them.
You say, well, I, you know, I'm not called to be a preacher. I'm not called to be a missionary. No, you're called to be an ambassador. It doesn't matter what label you have. We're all members of the body of Christ. There's no difference here. Yes, I serve as a missionary. I serve in a particular office, but that's not anything to be worshipped or honored. It is a responsibility that I have to give an account to when I stand before my Maker. You are a member of the body of Christ. We are members of the body of Christ. There's no part that is better than the other part. Are you listening to me? Every single one of us, including me, all of us, have received a gift from God. And we're to use it in the body of Christ to expand the kingdom of God. Just because you're not a missionary or a full-time preacher does not give you the excuse to say, well, that's not my focus. No, 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 no. If you're a Christian, you're in the body of Christ. You're called by God. You're in the ministry of reconciliation. We're all in this together, my brother and sister. Are you listening? We all stand before Jesus. We all have a mission. Hallelujah. And thank God He will help us. He will empower us. He will give us direction. So I just tried to stir up your pure minds this morning to see the big picture of why you are here on this planet. It's not just this. It's this, it's eternity. Help you see that you are on this planet for a reason. It's eternal, an eternal reason. And to refocus on those things that are most important to God and to your eternal destiny. Most important things to God are spiritual things. And those are the things that we can make an impact in this life. We can take other people with us to eternity our family, our friends, our co-workers. We can sow seed, we can water seed, we can harvest seed. So don't think you have to do all three necessarily. Some people are great waters. They water that seed. Some people are seed planters. Some people are seed waters. Paul said, neither is he that planteth anything or he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. It takes all of that process for a harvest. Plant the seed, water the seed, harvest the seed. So don't think that, oh, I, you know, my, my job is insignificant. No, if it's just planting seed, that's very important. If it's watering that seed, it's extremely important. And you can plant a number of ways. You can water a number of ways. Let God guide you and lead you in how to do that. You guys, everyone, most people who are not in a role of a, a full-time minister has more influence on people than ministers do. When I'm on an airline, and if I want a quiet flight, all I have to do is tell the person next to me I'm a preacher. <laughs> not another word. Matter of fact, they may turn away. Not another word is spoken. So I tell them I'm a motivational speaker. And I am. I'm a salesman. I'm an ambassador. Oh. 
Who do you represent? You have to be clever. You rub shoulders with a lot of people every day. Huh? Even just your actions, your attitude is planting seed, sowing seed or watering that seed. Right? And it's making eternal consequences. I'll end with this story. Uh, I was in Rama. Uh, I was the uh, dean for a period of time on two separate occasions. <clears throat> and uh, we had a large classroom, I don't know, several hundred students, and we were doing an exam. And uh, so I'm just there in the classroom and, uh, you know, watching the students take the exam. And so I'm just, you know, walking up and down the classroom aisles, just kind of, you know, kind of killing time, as we say. So I walked by this guy and just put my hand on his shoulders. Didn't feel led to do that or anything. Just put my hand on his shoulder and, you know, just walked on by. So a couple weeks later, I, I, a young man comes to my office, makes an appointment. And he comes in and he said, uh, uh, you probably don't know me. And I'm in this class, this group. Uh, he said, uh, did God tell you to put your hand on my shoulder? I said, what? When did that happen? So he had to refresh my memory. And uh, I said, you know, I didn't want to sound unspiritual. But I said, no, he didn't tell me. I didn't have a vision or a dream. He said, well, you may not know this, but I was going through a very challenging and difficult time in my life. And I was actually contemplating withdrawing from school that very day. And when your hand touched my shoulder, something came all over me. I don't know what it was. And I just got this surge of hope and strength and, and this inward feeling, I'm not going to quit. And he stayed in school. And he wanted to know if God specifically told me, and I had to say, well, not, not specifically. I think I was unconsciously led to do that. I, I don't even remember. So, you know, we do things sometimes unconsciously by God's Spirit that make a difference in people's lives. And we'll never know that until we stand before Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day, this church.